Super pumped to be here. Very excited for this fireside chat. I just want to say thank you. I'm thrilled, thrilled to be here. I, I, I really want to know how uh, my crew did earlier on their panel, and I'm excited to answer questions. So thanks for having me. Yeah. This is the Gary V Audio Experience. So, why don't you give the normal intro, a little bit about yourself, and then we'll dive into some fun questions. Sure. So, I'm an entrepreneur. Um, well, how about this? How many people here don't know me? I love you. How many people here don't know who I am? Thank you, sir. So, I'll take you out to dinner afterwards so we can save some time for everybody else. Uh, but I'll give you the 40-second version. I was born in the Soviet Union, very immigrant upbringing, eight family members in a studio apartment, rugged stuff. My dad got a job as a liquor st- in a liquor store, eventually saved all his money, bought a small store in New Jersey, built that up. I was a baseball card, sports card, uh, lemonade, washing cars, shoveling snows, like purebred entrepreneur, bad at school, got into my dad's business, fell in love with wine, saw that people collected wine the way they collected sports cards, saw the internet was coming, wasn't a techie kid, launched one of the first e-commerce wine businesses, grew it, grew my dad's business from a four to a $60 million business, started paying attention to Silicon Valley, decided to get smarter and not sell more wine, but invest in the things that I would think sell more wine was early in Twitter, Facebook, a lot of other things. Uh, and then gave a speech that wrote a book that kind of like took me to a totally different place and I'm gonna buy the New York Jets. That's the question. That's the question. All right. Um, so we talked a lot earlier. So we're gonna hopefully it's gonna we're gonna already have some background on your whole team. So we talked a lot about that. And one of the questions that I had for them um, was that we didn't get to was you have about 35, 40 ish people on it right now. Is what we were told. Yes. If you had a hundred, would you know what to do with them? Yeah. Okay. I'd be doing the same thing I'm doing now. We only really probably need seven to ten okay. to like really be crazy with the amount of content we're putting out. It's that I'm trying to build scale. So by having 35, many of them will go into Vayner Media. Many of them may go into, I mean, I used to have four chief of staffs. Two of them are now my partners in Empathy Wines because I really only needed one. So I think one of the mistakes that people make is they value short-term short-term profit instead of long-term profit. So I have a lot more overhead than I need, which means at the end of the year I can't take home as much money this year. But what I'm creating is assets, human assets, that can be deployed against other activities that allow me to have a sneaker play, a wine play, Vayner, Vayner Sports, like on and on and on. So I would know what to do with 4,000 people, let alone 100. It'd be the same thing. It'd be a training ground for scale. 25% 25% I would lose because they didn't want to hang with me for their own selfish, selfless ambition or just didn't like it. Um, 25% become the cream of the crop, which become the biggest executives in my ecosystem. And 50% find different places within my world or a nice place where I set them up and they make a nice $300,000 a year living being an executive somewhere else. So that's what I'm doing. Cool. That's awesome. So it's being, the, the team is not just staying in Gary, on Team Gary V for like very long. I mean, I'd love for people to sure. play for life. I don't mind. Uh, you know, I'm a, you know, I know there was, there's some, been some football references. If you look at the data around offensive lines that play together for multiple seasons, it gets real good real fast. And so I love continuity and context. So I love having a team stick around. At the same token, 
I think when you're a leader, you need to be selfless, not selfish. And so if I'm watching my team and I realize that he or she may thrive better within the bigger agency, uh, or they may thrive better being on their own. I loved having Elliot at Dunk on my team, but very quickly I'm like, that's a kid that's gonna go run by himself. So I tried to help him do that. So, uh, you know, I love it, but it's just not the reality of most people's DNA. Everybody's, and, and not to mention, everybody goes through life cycles. Those three that you just sat up here, none of them are married. None of them have had children. There's a million things that happen. Thank God none of them have had an extreme tragic event. When you're at the top of the sphere, when you're the number one, you're prepared for everything. And that's how I live my world. So while we're talking about the, the team and VaynerMedia, um, I see obviously a lot of vulnerabilities with like a modern digital company. What do you think, there's a lot of, the reason I'm bringing it up, there's a lot of people here that run or work at a marketing agency. Okay. And so what is like some advice you would give them so that they're not vulnerable to essentially Facebook just automating the whole process of buying ads, like there you are, something like that. Bring value. Sure. Like, you know, for, how many people here own that digital agency? Raise your hands. So, for those hands, what we have to think about is the client's ROI, not our short-term EBITDA. Most agencies lose because they're trying to maximize their own profit in the short term, which means they get stuck in certain behaviors that are valuable today, but every day become more vulnerable, and then eventually they're in deep shit. You know, building websites used to be profitable as fuck. You know, email marketing was really, really great in 2000. You know, like, you know, SEO was an unknown skill set in 1999. Like, you know, so things evolve. So I think for the owners in here, I think your job is to make less profit each year to invest in things that you think are emerging on the consumer level so that you can be a leader in that sector, whether that's voice. I'm investing, as you guys, if you, it seems like a lot of people know, like I'm investing heavily in voice. We're losing a fuckload of money on my investment in voice. It's just that I know everybody's gonna be buying into that in three years and I'll be there. Um, for the employees that are here, how many people here work at a digital agency? Raise your hands. So for, for those hands, I think the biggest thing is to die on your own sword. I think it's important, as you know, and I'm looking at a couple of you that raise your hands, you know what's acceptable in your shop that you don't actually agree with. And I think it's important to find a respectful way to communicate that to the bosses and to the clients. And that's super important because I watch a lot of people, I mean, at the level that Vayner plays against the biggest agencies in the world, I'm watching executives in meetings because I'm in these meetings, I'm still in the trenches, say shit that I know they don't believe can see it on their fucking face. Sometimes we walk out at a, a four agency kind of thing and I'll put my hand around like, I know you don't believe that bullshit about programmatic. You know, like stuff like that. And, but that's what their company sells and they want to continue to be employed and that is their great vulnerability. Just selling the wrong thing, really. <laughs> Look, selling something you don't believe in never ends well. Sure. Not for somebody who's got a company, not for somebody that works at a company. It never, ever ends well. It may be, if you're sitting there and saying, oh, that's some profound shit, I'm fucked up because I hate what I sell, you still might have 
college debt, you might have just moved into a new apartment, you still have your practicalities of your life, but you need to start putting things in a position to allow you not to sell something you don't believe. The, the biggest reason I think a lot of my success has happened in my life is I've always sold something that I believed in. Now, my DNA has allowed me to see things fairly early, so I tend to be selling things that nobody else thinks are right, and then I just let history play out, and so for the first 15, 20 years of my life, I was kind of getting shit on day to day, but now I get to be here at still an extremely young age, having 20 years of a whole lot of wins on the board that people didn't see, which you can imagine builds reputation, which is leverageable, and that's where I'm at now. Now the key is for me to stay focused and don't get high on my own supply and start making up shit because I think I'm special. I need to triple down on what's got me here, which is only sell what I believe in. So what are those services that you believe in right now at The Voice? Is that what you're trying to sell clients? That was, a, that was an extreme version of something I think is really meaningful three to seven years from now, that if you're investing now, it doesn't look good on the P&L because you're getting no revenue in and you're carrying voice strategists and you're like, the fuck do I need this for? Fuck Gary, that's stupid. Like that's the stuff I believe in at the scale that I play, but you know, the, look, I think a production capability that, uh, look, if you run ads, and you actually know what you're doing, and you're running ads on the current digital landscape, then you know you're way too short on the amount of creative you have. To take advantage of Facebook, and YouTube, and Snapchat, and TikTok, and all these platforms properly, there's not a person, including me and my fucking 35 band of bandits, that is even remotely close to enough creative to actually fill the capabilities of the pipes. So creating a content product that creates content at scale that's affordable is a very good business. That's what I believe in right now. And not be romantic about any platform. I have no emotion to social media. I can't wait, can't wait till 11 years from now. I don't know if you guys follow me on Instagram, but I love doing these like throwback clips, right? Can't wait to watch all these videos of 2000, you know, 18, 19, 20, when in 2030, I'm just shitting on social media. Because it's true. I, I only have one religion, the consumer's attention. And whether that's print or radio, billboard, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, I'm unemotional, in perpetuity, to the day I die. And so that's why I'm never gonna be vulnerable because I'm never gonna allow myself to be so financially leveraged in a singular thing that isn't practical to the consumer's behavior. That's what most people's vulnerabilities are. They're so pot committed to search or programmatic or copy or whatever it may be that when the consumer changes, they're not willing to feel the pain of unwinding it because they weren't willing to invest in the next thing along the way. Cool. <laughs> Trying to keep up. <laughs> Throwing a lot at us. So, I got a fun question. If you were to try and sell this conference out with four times the people, what would be your strategy? I would have spent every single dollar on Gary V fans on Instagram. We did that. <laughs> then you didn't do enough creative variables. That's fair. How many different pieces of creative did you have? Not a lot. I would have done a lot. Just bring it down? I would have probably had 75 to 400 different pieces of creative chopped up post-production of my content then, and then made it contextual to the market, right? 
like I would have found a clip of me saying like fuck Baker Mayfield, right? And I would have run that. So the I feel like I just missed that entire joke. <laughs> the point is, how do you stop somebody's attention? You know, if you're gonna go, the, if you're gonna go and target people that are both Gary Vee and Browns fans on Instagram, and there are clips of me actually saying that, you're gonna stop them in their feed. This is what you, this is one big game of, you know, um, how many of you, just for context, how many of you saw the post that I did for my sister's 40th birthday over the weekend? Just raise your hands. So, for thank you by the way. So for half of you, or a little less than half, that saw it. I really, really wanted my sister to massively pass my dad and followers as a family inside joke. So the photo I did was a photo of her and I very close to each other. Me knowing that the number one search term on Google is Gary Vaynerchuk's wife, because people are curious because we don't share our personal life and my wife is super private that way. I knew that if I put a photo that even might have looked like that maybe was my wife, that almost everybody would stop to look at it. And so, I just understand the science around the art, and that's why I'm winning. This is one big fucking game of psychology. Yeah. And everybody thinks it's a game of math. Do you mesh the math, like the math in? Of course, math is fun, and right in a lot of ways, but everybody's way too reliant on math. The creative is the variable of success. I have your attention right now. What I say is the variable of how you feel about me differently in an hour than you did prior to the hour that started. That's it. That's the game. So we saw a lot of comments as we were running ads and promoting this conference and people were essentially saying, we'll just watch it on replay. Makes sense. I agree. What is the point of coming to live events in 2019 like this? The room. Right. Like, the, to come to a conference and not stretch your extroverted muscles would be a huge mistake. You know, this is when, even if you're the most introverted person in this room, this is where you need to muster up every piece of courage to say hello to somebody. The most, listen, I'm very focused right now to drop some profound shit. But whether I do or not, I'm not sure. What I'm completely sure about is the most valuable thing for you, for the investment you made of time and money here today, is sitting right next to you with a hello. I really believe that. Like, if, like I know we're doing some sort of cocktail party, like some are going, I'm sure, some are not. Like anything I can encourage, momentum, such a small group, like this is perfect. Like you have to say hello to the next person. Like it just really matters. That's how real life works. Yeah, it's awesome. And I think the learning from you on that standpoint, or what you could have, like, to me, access is the most valuable thing, yes. right? So, you know, I'm still waiting for somebody to pitch Zach and I at Vayner Speakers a conference where really all I'm doing is two minutes speed dating with every single person, and I'm, I'm, because that would be the most valuable thing. That's why I started Q&A. That's all people really want is to ask a question, because the context or the affirmation is what matters. It's a great idea for 2020. <laughs> <laughs> Back on the phone. Um, 
Awesome. So that was exactly what I wanted to hear. Is like them, like everybody here can learn all this stuff online. Like I get that and respect that. So but, they need, but, they need but, to learn but I, I apologize for joining. But also, it's the same reason people go to con con concerts or to a sporting event. Like there is a different variable of being here, and for some people, that's the ROI or the chance to get their question asked. I mean, I literally wrote and I started the Ask Gary Vee show and wrote the book because I wanted to only have a speaking career that only allows me to walk into a room, have enough brand awareness, and just do Q and A. I was wondering, Zach and I, Zach, is this, where are you, Zach? Back here. Zach, is this a dream, or this conversation you, you and I had recently, where I go and speak for 24 hours, I do 24 hours straight on a stage doing Q and A? Yeah, and then I, Tyler, I don't know, right now I've been having, in the last month, I'm pretty convinced that in the next year, I'm gonna go to like Radio City or Webster Hall, or I'm just gonna go somewhere and do a 24 hour Q&A. That's great. Talk to me about uh, two things. Uh, we'll start with one. One, I wanna know more about this possibility of you live streaming 24-7. Live streaming? Yeah, there was a video you put out. Yeah, I mean, look, I think, I, I think there's a lot of collateral that happens in my day to day that doesn't allow me to fully go there. You know, I think the thing that is most surprising to people when they come to work at VaynerMedia or do business with us is that I have a real job. You know, like, I, I really am the CEO of a thousand person, $200 million company, and so, I'm firing people, I'm negotiating, I'm doing a ton of shit that just makes it difficult at this point for me to fully go there, plus the fact that I keep my personal life completely private, so I do want it, because, I, because what Daily V allowed me three years ago was to create more clarity of like what it actually takes. Um, what's even more extreme is actually seeing it all. And so we've filmed a lot and have not exposed a lot of our arc. Like the documentary in seven years is going to be a lot more interesting. You know what was really interesting to me? Anybody here watch the eight-hour vlog in Dubai? Anybody? So first of all, that's crazy, and thank you. Second, second of all, that that was really interesting to me. A lot of people watched it. Eight hours is absurd, but when I read all the comments, it like. For that group of people, even people that have watched every piece of content I put out for five years, they were speaking about so many nuances. And that's what kind of got me hyped on the idea. Like, listen, when you want to make impact, you want to make impact. So you're trying to always pressure yourself of like, how do I bring the most value in comparison to the rest of the market? And I think a lot of people learn by watching. And so I'm just trying to figure that out. Yeah. Let's uh, stay on that topic of the long form. Yep. So uh, I think everybody's really addicted to the short little six second Instagram videos. I guess what they want to put out because it's easier or whatever. It's what looks, uh, I guess, sexy right now. But there's clearly value in producing very, very long content and then like your, your 30 minute. Can you talk about like how like maybe this like differs based on those very, very long form who it appeals to versus the short, the short form? Yeah, I mean, to me, I think about everything is in not creating friction and not having audacity. If you're intrigued or are getting value from me, I want to make sure that I'm not making it difficult for you to consume, so I'm doing everything. If you want to read an article on LinkedIn, I got you. If you want to listen to a podcast while you're running, 
I'm here. If you wanna throw me up on your TV and watch for 40 minutes while you drink wine, super interested. So, you know, if you've got 13 seconds for me, cool. Like, so, to me, what, what is being put inside that 30 minutes is going to be naturally long-form driven things like a Q&A session to fully give context, a keynote, a meeting, and then what's short is the highlights. It's like a full game versus the highlights. And so, you know, my, I don't think about it other than how do I allow every person in this room to consume me the way they want to consume me, and it's my job to make the investment to eliminate friction from you to be able to do that. A lot of people like want to grow their YouTube subscribers, so they're not going to make content in other places and force you to subscribe to them on YouTube. I think that's selfish instead of having empathy and compassion for the audience and making sure that I'm delivering the content in a format that they want to be able to consume it. So I'm jumping around all over the place. Just I'm good with that. What? I'm good with that. You're very good at that. <laughs> Following along. Uh, this is a live event. I love live events and bringing people together like this. And now I believe every small business should be running something that's a live event. Uh, and I saw you had a conversation, an interview where you were telling uh, telling somebody that was running an agency, it was like 5,000 bucks a month retainer, five, you know what I'm talking about? The Clarity Con, gentlemen? Okay. So you said like your your event business should be like where you put all your your energy to bring the clients in. Do you believe for us this makes a heck of a lot of sense? Do you believe this makes sense for or any live event makes sense for small businesses? Yes. Okay. Can you elaborate? I think people like to interact with people. They like to what? Interact with people. Sure. If you sell jewelry on Main Street, you know, and you decide to start a jewelry festival twice a year or an open house where you're pouring free wine. Like, people want to do live things. Like, the digital revolution is amazing, and that's great, and I think, I think the digital revolution is the gateway drug to live things. One of the things I'm super intrigued by right now is how many, uh, like places in, a, in the world, let alone America, have now become places that people want to go to because of Instagram. Like literally, like this rock or this rare tree or this cat, like places that no, there was never a site is now a site because Instagram created awareness and now everyone's going to this. And it's changed, like, it gets really interesting. Has changed like traffic dynamics, like hotel occupancy, in areas, like it's super fun to like look at this stuff. So I'm a big believer that digital is the gateway drug to real life. I've used digital to give most of the people in this room a lot of context, which creates this event to have a different layer because I can go 301 or 401 right now so many of you have so much context versus intro to me. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. Um, let's talk about uh, small business marketing, a lot okay. of small business owners in here. Yep. Um, and uh, quite a few, like very, let's say very small, it sells it, but like, just like just getting rolling. Yeah, one okay. or two people. So, what can they do? Um, I know you've answered it a hundred times. Is there anything new that's come to your mind lately that a small business could utilize? How many people here are a uh, one to five person company and does B2B work? Raise your hands. 
Great. So that world is something I've been thinking a lot about. Like I can't, and I again, it's you know I'm gonna beat this drum. I can't push you more towards producing a lot of LinkedIn content. And you should be putting out your best advice. The amount of agencies that today exist in one to ten person form that the entire agency is built on all the free content that I've put out is staggering. And that makes me happy, not upset. And so I always say I give advice that I take myself. I think that if you're a consultancy or a B2B company, you need to be putting out free content on LinkedIn of your best thoughts and ideas of what you actually want to do for those people. If you're selling advice, you should be giving it away for free. And that seems countercultural, and a lot of people don't believe it. I just don't think people understand the supply and demand curve. I don't think people understand how people make buying decisions and how trust and reputation is built. And I think people are naive to the new realities. Cool. What plat? So LinkedIn. What types of content, uh, like format-wise, do you see resonate the most for B two B? Everything works. Okay. A deck works. An article works. A video works. An infographic works. A picture works. It just, are you good at it? This is one big game of self-awareness, not what's the best format. Do you know how many people in here have tried to make videos on LinkedIn and that was a really bad idea? They're not good at it. The same way that if I, did, if I wrote instead of having my videos transcribed into written, it would be a disaster. I've written five New York Times best-selling books and my English teachers are laughing. You know, I can't put three sentences together. You know, I do all my copy on Instagram. I'm sure you see things. So, you know, that's the reality. So I think every format works. The key is understanding what format works for you in the best way that you communicate. So many people think video has to be the way because it does well, it's very visual, but there are plenty of people that are super introverted writing incredibly thoughtful pieces doing extremely well. I think that's like huge, it's all about self-awareness with the content, like whatever you, or just like, whatever your strong suit is, what it should really be. I feel like and that doesn't mean you shouldn't challenge yourself. Right. It's fun to see if you can flex that muscle, but there is no format that disproportionately feels to me that you ever need to lean into because look, this is also how the algorithms work. People used to argue back in the day with me like, Gary, Facebook's vigging video. I'm like, sure, Facebook's vigging groups now. That's what's showing up in your feed. Like, they will change based on people's behavior. Radio was super fucking dead four years ago. Podcast is super fucking lit today. What is, with a podcast, what's gonna, like everybody is literally making a podcast, great. How are you gonna stand out with a podcast? The same thing that's always happened. Everybody's got an Instagram account. Everybody has a Twitter account. You know, these were all the questions I was asked. Gary, I mean this is super deja vu. Gary, you won on email marketing. Now everybody has an email newsletter. How are you gonna stand out? Be better. Gary, you, now everyone's on YouTube. How are you gonna stand out? Be better. Like, you know, the reality is, a podcast, yes. This, everybody thinks it's a supply and demand game. It's not, it's a quality game. Of course, early movers get advantages. Um, but that ship has sailed for podcasts. 
You should have been doing that six years ago if you wanted those outsized results in supply and demand. Now it becomes a game of being more narrow in expertise or just being fundamentally better. I think people miss that. Literally, you have to be good at everything. Like when we're putting out content, like if, you're, if I'm not good at video, I shouldn't be putting it out. It Every, everyone's super attracted to the first. Like everybody rolls up and be like, tell me what, you know, what can I, what's next? I'm like, I have no fucking idea. You know, I just know what's happening. Like I didn't, you know, I was super hot on Musical.ly, then it got bought by TikTok. I didn't realize TikTok would be having this moment that it has right now, but it matters right now for under 18. And so like, I'm spending a lot of time on it. Uh, and then it might not. Most of what I learned about Instagram video, I learned on Vine and before that, social cam. You know, Vine, some people are shaking their heads in here, social cam, everyone's like, what the fuck? The app was like big for like 48 seconds. So, you know, that's what I'm spending time on. Talk about TikTok a little bit, because there's some cool content you just put out about it. You know, TikTok is really captured the imagination of the 10 to 20 year old set. A lot of the YouTube and Instagram uh, influencers and personalities that skew younger have found enormous uh, opportunity of attention on TikTok. Uh, and, you know, TikTok is a platform that more parents have allowed nine and 10 year olds to go on earlier and musically. So now they're 13 and 14. This is what happens. The younger you can get and get them in early, the more you have a chance. And uh, they've done a really good job. And, you know, truth is, I haven't, I'm really just now getting super duper serious of how a 43 year old businessman plays in that environment. I'll be patient. I know the majority is young. I'll wait. Um, and it may not manifest. Um, so I understand the attentions there, but I haven't created long enough for it to really drop any real jewels. Uh, I'm on my own journey there, but I'm excited about it. Awesome. What is the kind of single most frustrating marketing move you see people make? Like what is something that you see every business do and you're like, ah, why do you keep doing that? Is there something that you're- At, at big company level, buying programmatic banner ads. Um, at, at small individual human personalities buying followers. Sweet. Would you, we're at about 30 yes. minutes, Q&A. <laughs> okay, um, is AV ready for some Q&A? Yeah, mics? Come on. I think to kill some dead air while they get that set up, yeah, we'll get to as many, I'll go fast. I think every mistake I see is when people over lean into short term math, right? How many impressions am I getting for this cost? How many followers, like to me, I pray that everybody wakes up tomorrow and Instagram followers goes away as an outward metric. It would lead to, it would lead to so much more better behavior. Um, uh, it's just really interesting how much, and this is how my content evolved. Like, there's probably nothing that kind of makes me cringe more than when somebody says that I'm a motivational speaker, but so much of spending time on tactical advice in 2013, 14, and 15 made me realize that so many people in this room and other places don't do things because of the higher level thing. So much of what you're seeing is completely predicated on insecurity. People need validation. 
from the outside, not themselves, which leads to such short-term bad behavior, which then ultimately leads to very selfish content, which never manifests in a meaningful community. That's why I love life. If the mics weren't slow, I would have never got that rant off and I finally got a fucking clap. <laughs> you ready with mics? Got some questions? Hi, Gary. Um, first of all, I just want to say thank you. What's your name? My name's Jack. Zach? Put your... Jack. Jack. Put your mic to your mouth. Um, so I just want to say thank you so much for creating the content that you create. I mean, you've changed my life over the past year. and. It, it means the world to me. I was telling my girlfriend, like, this is like me coming to see every single contestant on The Bachelor ever. So, like, this is you. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Um, but my question is, how do you balance posting content that is geared towards, you know, increasing engagement, increasing your following, for, for a business, increasing engagement, increasing following with, like, posting stuff that's promotional and directed at selling? How do you, how do you kind of balance the two? Are they one and the same? Or... I think it's why my, the book, Jab, 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 Right Hook, so resonated with so many people. And I almost, I've been thinking a lot about writing a book called Jab, 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 Left Hook and just fully updating it. Um, you know, listen, every bit, I think it's completely based on every individual case. How much equity have you built up to allow you to ask? So how do I balance it? By, for example, Trouty, are you here? So John Troutman is my partner in empathy. Today's prime day on Amazon, right? We have a lot of empathy to still sell because I have big eyes and produced way too much wine, right? They're like, hey, you need to, let's, you know, I don't know, how many of you have signed up for my text messaging platform on community, right? So they're like, hey, because that's converting very well because you see it, text is working, a place that everybody should be paying attention to. And they're like, hey, why don't we do a discount offer or it'll really well, and I'm like, important discount. And I said, yes. I said, we need to sell. Sorry, I heard it went out for a second. I'm like, yes, we'll do it tomorrow. Then this morning, we're like, and we're together. Like, I rarely see John, but we're actually here together because we have the empathy later. We're together, let alone apart, where this would have been easier, and I decided not to do it. And I decided not to do it because I don't think I've built up enough equity on the text platform to throw the right hook. So instead, I tried something new today on that platform because I have the data. I sent a text. How many people got a text today, which means they're over 40, right? I sent a text today, as some of the people here know, only to people 40 to 100, making fun of everybody under 39, right? And so, um, it was a really interesting moment. I just lived it. I'm giving you a dead example of the strategy's right, we need to move wine. We're using a macro event like Prime Day. We're gonna give a discount so we'll convert. I felt good about it. We need it, which is even more of an important thing. And yet, when it came to the come to Jesus moment today, I didn't feel that I had the right value in place there to go in for the right hook because I felt like for whatever I sold, I would have lost the trust from too many people in there from unsubscribes or just checking me out and like thinking it's my promotion channel. And so I balked and I think I'm right today. Whereas tomorrow I may want to, like, you know, and so it's having a pulse on your community and also trying to put yourself in a position that you're never desperate. You're welcome. Gary, Helen Shedlow, holy shit, this is awesome. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I have a kind of two-parter for you. What is on the horizon and how do I join Team Lil V? 
Huh. So Horizon in the macro or keep the mic because I'm gonna follow. Horizon for me or? Long term. Long term. Me or the world? The world. I think that we will continue to watch us buy into convenience. So mainstream media is pumping privacy on us every day and nobody gives a shit. You give a shit on social media and you complain about it but then you continue to act the exact same way. You put your credit card in all the time on the internet. You put your social security number on the internet. You do all sorts of shit every day. And so you're a tough guy in your Twitter or Facebook post about privacy or over dinner, but in real life, you never give a shit. Why? Because subconsciously humans know that 99.999% of humans are good and it's not that dangerous. This is a very interesting insight. I think voice is going to be dominant. I think everybody here is gonna make massive amounts of buying decisions based on voice in a decade. We're gonna be buying right through our devices with voice command. We're gonna be interacting, like our clothes, everything's gonna be activated. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just gonna live agnostic and be like, call mom, tell her that. Like, it's gonna be so little friction. Last mile delivery is coming. Like, you're gonna have no reasons to leave. You will leave because we like real life stuff but you won't leave for something that's not valuable. You'll leave for some bomb ass food and a great ambiance at a restaurant. You won't leave to go to 7-Eleven because that shit will be delivered to you in a second. So I think we're gonna really lean into convenience and technology will continue to make convenience a real thing for us. So anything you're doing, any of you, professionally or personally that creates friction, you better have enormous value on the other side or you're gonna be vulnerable. As far as Lil V, you know, we, should, we launched that pilot mainly with a strategy to 80% versus 20% still doing it ourselves was to JV with a top animation house and make it a Hulu or Netflix or Amazon and that's what I'm going through right now. We'll see what happens. I would consider disrupting the education system with music and your audience with Little V. Just throwing it out there. Listen, let me say this. My inbox is very open. The problem is most people... like six times. But, but you're going you're to appreciate this. And I don't know if D-Rock got to how many times he tried to get a job or... You, like, I'm giving you the hack. People have to figure out how to email because what we're getting is 10,000 requests for them and even when people position it as for us, it's too vague for us to understand, right? So like, we're going through it, um, or, you know, I've noticed, a what's that? Yeah, I mean, look, the truth of the matter is, like, it's completely based on serendipity at this point because I'm getting too much inbound. It's crazy, like, like I think about it every day when I go on a flight to LA, answer like 87 emails and a bunch of DMs, and I'm like, some fucker, just email me for the first time, and in three minutes I replied, and somebody else has emailed me 89 times in the last three years and has gotten nothing. And there's just something so crippling and liberating about that. You know, it's just, or it's not luck, it's skill, it's paying attention. I'm never at this fucking conference if I didn't have an issue with empathy sales. Thanks, Gary. <laughs> So, I think it's listening. Well, it worked out for us. Am I good, am I good? Hey Gary, my name is Christian, a huge fan. Thank you. 
obviously everyone's going to thank you, but thank you for, you. I got to use your advice to launch three successful businesses over the last couple of years. It's amazing. In all those businesses, I've been a one-person team, and I'm curious if you were operating VaynerMedia as a one-person team in 2019, what would be the first position you would hire, because I'm finally to that point? I would hire somebody to manage my schedule, right? You have to be self-aware. What you, you know, what I would hire is not necessarily valuable to you, but the answer I'm gonna give, I hope is, which is you need to be very self-aware and figure out what the most important thing is that you hate or aren't good at. Perfect. So I would hire somebody to schedule because as a one-person team, your time is your number one asset. And if somebody made me more efficient with my time, then I would extract more value. Thanks. You really got appreciate it. it, man. You're welcome, brother. Okay. Up here? Up top. Hi. Hi. <laughs> um, first, I want to say it's such an honor to talk to you. Everything that my business partner and I have done over the last three years has been built after what you've taught us so thank you thank so you. much our You're youtube welcome. channel everything modeled you. after after you and your style my business partner is um a general surgeon so we developed a youtube channel uh educating kids we we sell digital products and we have a course that teaches kids how to like sit down focus and study conscientiousness mindset motivation mastery all that stuff and um, my question for you is right now we use social media to sell this course that we created that's, it's very real. It's like, you know, from a surgeon's perspective, he uses the fuck word every now and again, and, and it's, it's, it's very, you know, real him talking edgy. And we're selling it direct to consumer, to, to kids and to parents. My, my question for you is, do you think it makes sense to reformat this, to kind of clean it up and sell it to the school system? Okay. And if you've had any experience transitioning from direct to consumer to business to business and, and having to kind of change it up to conform to, unfortunately, what we have to conform to with the education system today. Look, you know, this may sound interesting coming from me the way I roll, but like if that's who you want to sell to and that's the audience, they have the leverage. And so I don't think it's devastating to beep it out or edit it out in any shape or form. It may, it may lose some of the things you guys like about it, but the reality is, you know, when you're in a situation of selling, um, what, what, what's amazing about selling to the end consumer is you can be authentically yourself because you'll find enough of the audience that will buy in. When you sell to B2B and the group is smaller and oftentimes more conservative, you've got to make adjustments. I don't think you're selling out or ruining anything if that's the way it is. Cool, I appreciate that. I mean, we start, no problem. I mean, we started a, a non-cursing channel on, on YouTube because a lot of parents and teachers were reaching out and saying, look, I really, really, really want to share this. It's just that like, you fucking curse a lot, you know? And I was like, I get it. And you know, after we built up enough infrastructure, we had the infrastructure to put in the time to be able to do it, and I don't feel like I've sold out or anything of that nature. I only respect the end audience, and if a teacher wants to show this to their eighth graders, I don't want two colorful jersey words to ruin that, and so I think you're fine. That's awesome, thanks so much. Got it. Hey everyone, I wanted to say hey Gary, and uh, first and foremost I want to say thanks to Nick and Sky Sprout and all the volunteers and yes. I think everyone's doing a great job. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
to say thank you to Gary and uh, Team Gary B. I mean, you guys are absolutely changing the world what you're doing and uh, you. providing exceptional high-level content for everyone. So uh, thanks again for that. Thank you, brother. Uh, my name is Johnny Cannabis, and um, you know I know that you have you're a wine guy generally, but you have been dipping your toes in the cannabis field lately, and you've partnered with Green Street over the last six months or so. What's your anticipation and vision for your involvement in the cannabis industry as being truly a non-cannabis guy? I think that cannabis is going to be an enormously humongous consumer industry. I mean, I, uh, you know, just because I don't smoke weed has nothing to do with anything. People do. People eat edibles. People, like, I'm, you know, I, if my dad didn't have a liquor store, I probably would have never drank any alcohol in my entire life. I went through all of high school and most of college without consuming any alcohol. So, you know, to me, I love consumer products. I love selling stuff. I love business. And I think the there's clear consumer indicators that cannabis and edibles and CBD and, you know, hemmed and all that. I mean, this is going only in one direction. And so I... Because Steve Ross has a minority share of VaynerMedia and owns the Miami Dolphins, we couldn't put the cannabis, you know, capabilities under the Vayner world because of the NFL relationship with cannabis. And so, uh, but that, I didn't want to be precluded. So I bought 49% of Green Street and we do marketing for brands and we start brands. We had an eight-figure exit with two chains on the gas brand after 18 months. Um, we have the most significant conference called Hall of Flowers, so I'm spending an enormous amount of time. I actually think by far the most interesting emerging and midterm consumer sector is the female sector in edibles. Uh, so, like, I, you know, I'm just, I just, there's a lot of cool stuff coming, and and then also to be very, very, very frank, intuitively, one man's opinion with no scientific knowledge. I feel like it's gonna help a lot of people who are using and doing alternative things that are not helping them, and it kind of feels good. I agree, thank you. Hey Gary, uh, Nick from New Jersey, so good to what see part? another Jersey boy. Uh, South Jersey down by Philly, so a whole different state. You're an Eagles fan? No, I'm actually not, I'm an Indianapolis Colts fan. What the fuck? <laughs> I met, I met Gary Brackett through my dad's business when I was in the second grade. So I just saw him. I was like, you play for the Colts? I like the Colts. So I just went with that. And Peyton Manning dominating for a decade didn't hurt. Yeah, he's, yeah. he's the second best. Yeah, go ahead. Um, so my question is, for a business in 2019, I'm in a position where I want our business to grow. I work in a family business, billboard advertising. And like I said, I want to make it grow. And uh, not everyone in the company is on the same page. Some people are content with where we're at. Some are you people want the to make owner? No, I'm not. I am uh, one of the sales reps. Got it. So you want the company to grow for your own ambitions as an employee, but some of the people within the company, you don't feel have that same drive. Correct. And I want to know, uh, one, how you're supposed to motivate people to either want the same thing, or if that's not the answer. That's definitely if, not the answer. If hiring people who are goal-driven and motivated rather than content, if that's the way to go. Sure, but how do you know that when you're interviewing, right? This becomes one big game of firing. Now the question becomes, do you have the power? I do not. Then you need to leave. Or have a conversation with the person that does have the power. Well, the owner uh, is also on the same page as me. It's actually my father. 
Um, we're both in the, yeah. So we're both in the same place. We both want to see it grow. Um, luckily, but you're still in that father-son dynamic at this young of an age where you don't have the full. You know, are a lot. Of, so let's get into this because this is my favorite subject okay. since I lived it. Can I make the assumption that some of the people that are not as motivated have been around longer? Yes. The shortest any of our employees have been there is like 12 years, 12 years. Yeah, I mean, this is as cliche as it gets, which is why I was able to make that assumption. You have these ambitions for growth. Your dad as well does. It's his fucking business. However, your dad has a loyalty to those people because of maybe what they did in the first five to seven to 12 years and they might be in a different life cycle. So he has the conflict of that relationship versus the growth ambitions. Whereas you weren't there when that was happening, thus you don't have that same conflict. Right. Look, there's two ways to handle this, back to football terms. Fans love to shit on teams when they cut veterans who fucking dominated for them for a decade because we love them, and then the team cuts it, and we fucking get upset, but meanwhile, the reality is the team wouldn't be as good if they overpaid for somebody on the other side of the hill. The, what you need to decide is how you want to play this based on what you want out of your life. Okay. You know, you need to... You need to be empathetic to your dad that he has different emotional relationships with these people than you do. That didn't stop me from firing everybody in my dad's business. Right. Because I didn't give a fuck. Now, what I mean by that is I gave a lot of fucks. But I, but I, but I, so the way I did that was by having real conversations with the people that have been in that business for a while. And say, look, I have these real ambitions. I don't, like, we're gonna play it a little bit different. I want you to be successful here. And a lot of them resigned because we were bringing in technology. Like, two cashiers quit because we went to a computer system. Like, this is old school shit, you know? So, like, what also you need to figure out is how much patience you have. Are you gonna take over this business? Are you not? There's real life dynamics here, but what you need to lead with is empathy and patience, and also self-awareness of what you want for your own life. All right, thank you. And uh, real quick. Let me ask you a question because it's important to me. Are you able to have real conversations with your dad? Yes, very well. Well, then you're in a great spot. Then I would say don't be audacious and be patient. Okay, thank you. And And then also build heavy cases on why you should fire them. (laughs) Do you understand? No, yeah, I completely understand. Put facts behind it rather than you know just going in with a request. That's right. It can't be like I'm just here to change shit up, and then everybody from the employees to your own dad is like, "That's cool, kid." But while we were building this business, you were playing fucking softball. You need to come in with like Carol stealing, Dad. <laughs> Here's the video. You understand? Yep. And I tweeted at you last night. I'm wearing a pair of clouds and nerd sneakers right now. Asked if I could come up, get a picture, and have you sign them. So yes, I can do that. Thank you. Don't Am be. I love that. Um, Good. And I'm definitely not perfect, but 
Um, Me neither. I'm perfectly perfect. Good for you. <laughs> um, so I just want to say I'm one of those um, like middle-aged moms yep. and women that you've talked about in the past. Yes. That, um, you got this. I grew up in a very small village, okay. um, three traffic light town. So community has always been so important to me, and, awesome. I've, and I've always been an entrepreneur. Okay. Um, many times throughout my life, people telling me you can't do that, and it's been a journey. Yes. Um, and in the last five years, I've had a vision. I've been building a community that is based all around community. Okay. And I've been doing it on my own. Good for and you. Um, I would say that once I figured out who you were, it, it changed my business platform, and I launched today. Um, <laughs> I launched today. I didn't do a big launch because, like with many entrepreneurial businesses, sorry, I'm um, I've been doing it by myself, and I've had like three different designers that couldn't pull my business together for me. Yep. Um, it's very interactive. There's like five different parts to it. It's, it's high function, and three of you know the first two couldn't get it to the place where they could make it interactive and make it functioning. Yep. So I have been for the last year working with this one company, and you know we've had 16 times of where I've gone and told people we're launching. Yep. You know, and then we don't, and then it's like yep. you know crawl in the hole. But here I am, yep. I'm still persevering. But every step of the way, it's like, it's, it's been, I'm very much like connected with vibration and like things happening for a reason. Yep. And um, I'm sorry, I know I'm kind it's of okay. Don't worry. Uh, but they're still with you. You probably got a minute before they turn on you, but okay. they're still with you. All right. So essentially, I'm still here. It's been about the journey. And every time I've had a stop, something positive has come from that. That's something good. great has been added into the business that's going to make it even that much better. Okay. Um, so like I have in the last like two or three months, I have outsourced and I have hired two people to just, I can't do it all by myself. Yep. Um, and so that's been a great thing. And between you and Evan Carter, Michael and you know Tom Bill, you all you guys have been like my best friends. Like I have been coming to you like daily. Like I know when I need that inspiration and that you know just that push. I turn you on with like no matter what I'm doing, and you know I just I love it. So I wanted to like thank you like for changing my life. And my life is it's we are in such a like an amazing time. And I love that you're always giving us bite-sized, you know, tidbits of here's what's this and this is what you need to do. And I've been listening to you. You know, like I know I need to be posting. I know I need to be putting the money into the social. But it's like I've been so, like, nose to the grindstone that I have to get launched, right? Yes. So one of the things that I'm just, like, really concerned about right now is, like, you guys, all of you, are our future. And like what part of the business is? Even some of the old dudes in here. Everyone, okay, yeah. Sure. As a matter of fact, I'm starting a global movement, and it is about um, it's free to be me, just be you, global efforts. So I support local, but I also feel like we're global. We are all hu humanity. I support global. I've heard. Yeah, uh, you've heard. We're human. <laughs> Sorry, I know I'm starting to lose you all. We should wrap but it up because they're about okay. to kill you. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> 
Your business I'm might sorry, end today. I'm sorry, I know, it probably has. I'm sorry, I'm just so like con confused and a little bit nervous here. Um, banners. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> banners. Like That I, was I, not the transition board so, I saw coming. Like part of my business is doing. Can I? Like, can I be? Can I? I love you with all my heart, and I'll yeah. talk to you after this. Okay. Is there a question or is this? Yes, there's a question. Okay. No, I'm sorry. That's okay. What do I do? Like originally, everybody was like, "How do you make your site monetize?" Okay. Because really, my site is about like is telling community stories and people and businesses and that sort of thing. And but what's the question? What's what? How do I make a site like that monetize when it's really like I was going to have banners just for? Are small you selling businesses? anything? No, just the, well the ban. I mean, I was going to be doing banners, but now I'm doing video because that's one of the things that grew out of the site thing. Video, like commercials and that sort of thing. But then I'm also doing Spotlight Free. Like I'm giving back and I'm not looking to charge for it right now. What I'm are just you? Doing what are you charging for? Nothing right now. Yeah. My intuition is your business is not going to work. But that's okay, because that's why you come to stuff like this. Like yeah. literally after this is done, I'll grab you for two minutes, I need to ask questions. Okay. I think you might be in ideology land, <laughs> not practical land, yeah. which is a vulnerability and I just want to cross a couple T's, but I want to get to some other questions. Okay, sure. I'll grab you after. Okay, cool. thanks Gary. You're welcome, thank you for the kind words. It's I like okay. Oh, whoa, hey. Hey, bro. Right, so first, I have to say hi to Helen because we went to school together. I haven't seen you. Oh, she's gone. Well, that would be cool. <laughs> yeah, she just had a question, but we went to school together like eight That's years awesome. ago. But anyways, um, I wanted to thank you, Gary, like everyone else. Um, I started in the fitness industry, uh, built a uh, facility from the ground up, 7,000 square foot, you know, the full 80 hours for three to four years just on the grind stuff. Yep. Um, and we were two years in, successful, and I was not unsatisfied. We had an amazing community, like I liked what I was doing, but I didn't love what I was doing. And I yep. got into your content, and you kind of gave me the courage to be like, hey, if this isn't, if you're not all in on this, you know, you should think about something else. And it was- uh, Real quick, because I'm yeah. gonna just use this to get something off. Like, very simply, we have to make happiness the North Star. We have to. Because the framework of all of us over the last hundred years is success, and even worse, things, you hadn't even debated. Like what you did was like courage and a new way of doing things, and we have to collectively, back to us being the future, including old guys like me, we have to like make the decision that you went through very easy for people in 25 years. You know how like 20 years ago not going to college seemed super foreign, like you had to, now it's a debate. My great hope is that happiness becomes a North Star equal to financial success because it's so much better. And like hearing you talk excites the fuck out of me because at this young of an age, to be able to start having that debate, and one could say at a younger age it's easier, but it's not necessarily. That's just deploying, not you know, you know, realizing and having sympathy and empathy. So like, that's awesome. I'm like just pumped to even hear the startup of this, and just really, really hope. Fuck, if you leave with anything from this conference, like being unhappy is a bad idea. And if that unhappiness is predicated on because it's the business that's paying your bills, you need to figure out how to change your bills. Sell your fucking home. 
Like downsize your car. Like take one less vacation. Stop keeping up with the fucking Joneses. Your child is not gonna be a professional athlete. Shit like that. Yeah, I mean, and that's what it was too. It wasn't even like things were bad. Like we were making good money, the community was great. Everyone's like, Jerry, like you're 25, like you got this business, like everything's great. And I wasn't unhappy, but it just wasn't there, you know? And so I started, I told my partner, I'm like, hey, in 11 months, I'm out. And the business is yours. And so in the next 11 months, I completely systemized my position for 50 hours a week, just yep. put in people, put in yep. systems, put in advertising stuff. And 30 hours a week were, was working on online stuff and just failed multiple times. And there were so many like Saturday nights where I'm listening to your podcast, it's like 11 o'clock at night, and you're like, and fucking Rick, you went to the Jersey Shore, every, and I was working, and like, fuck you, Rick, and I'm like, I don't like Rick either, like, all you guys, like, it's 11 o'clock, we all hate going, Rick and Sal. You know, so, you know, you kind of like help me continue to go through that, and you know, finally I'm in a position where, like, my business is great, I'm building a team, and I'm like genuinely happy for the first time That's in awesome. my life. So, awesome, I, I want to say it's like, thank you. Thank you. My, my question on that is not really business. I mean, I, I really feel like very good about where everything's going, but yep. what's happening is because I'm changing so much in my personality, my personal life, and the way that I view and see things, my relationships with people are changing too. Yes. Um, and I'm struggling to kind of maintain that. Family, uh, girlfriend, boyfriend, or best friends? Uh, not girlfriend. Or boyfriend. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's more like friends, and then yeah, friends. Um, yeah, friends. A lot it's of just, people struggle with this, and I think that it's actually very easy to fix. I think friends that you care about. Your question to me is based on this, so you clearly care. Mm. You care that you're going through it. What's happening is when one changes perspective and starts leaning into optimism and offense and positivity, it becomes harder to hear the other shit. Yeah. So what you need to do is just have conversations. You know, you need to sit down and be like, listen, Rick, like I'm going through some shit, I'm going to a different place, and like sitting and dwelling on dumb shit is just not as fun as it used to be, or whatever it may be. Yeah, so it's not even that. It's like the, the people that are like that, I'm, I cut them out, it's pretty easy. But it's the people that are pretty supportive, but they see you know, the things that I'm doing and the things I'm interested in, and like really going after it. And they're happy for me, but it's just the dynamic changes a little bit between us, you know, and it's, I don't have as much time to give to them at the same time, and you know, it's just- They're like, you changed, you care about yourself, you can't come to this anymore. Kind of, but not in a bad way. But yes. I get it. Yeah, yeah. So, all you can do is try your best. You know, once in a blue moon, if that relationship matters, you have to give. And even though you want to go crush something, or close something, or build something, you might have to go to some bullshit minor league baseball game. Because you care about Ralph. Yeah. Or not. I fucking didn't talk to my best friends for a fucking decade. But guess what? They're gonna be there in seven years, or maybe not. Because if they're genuinely good people and you're a genuinely good person, intent matters. Yeah. If you're going to make a ton of money and be a dick to your best friends, that's not gonna work out. If you're in a white hot moment where you're just feeling it and you need to do this for 36 months, it's gonna be okay. Cool. Thank you so much, Gary. Okay. If I could get a picture, that would mean so much to me. Sure. Oh, you're yeah. looking. Right, over here. Here. The back. Oh, back. Right here. Yep. Right here. I'm waving. Hi. Hi. How are you? I'm good. How are you? 
I just wanted to, like everybody else, say thank you. Uh, I have a question. I have a little bit of similar background as you. I immigrated to the U.S. from Taiwan. My parents saved up their money. Instead of liquor store, I have restaurants, worked in it, had an income since I was nine, uh, love hustling and selling stuff. Uh, and so right now, um, like I said, I have the restaurant background. I'm really passionate about health and wellness and really, uh, really aiding health problems with what you eat. And also okay. understanding you are what you eat. Uh, the whole, you know, e-local movement and stuff like that. Got it. So my question to you is because you have such a better pulse on the consumers, is whether you think that uh, the consumers are ready for a model going off what you said about convenience where right now farm to table is expensive. Yes. Right? It's an experience. I want it to uh, be more accessible to people, but the only way this can happen is if I have the scale, and I can only have the scale if the marketplace is ready for this. The, marketplace, the marketplace hasn't even begun to eat better and care more about it. Right. It's just, are you patient enough to see it through in a practical way? I'm patient, I'm patient enough because it's a passion. Good. I'm not sure economically and I'm all about investing and absorbing as much overhead as possible but unless I have certain volume for the farmers to be able to farm more sustainably from an economic standpoint it, the business model just may not work yeah because I think you might be looking too big too early you know, like you should be siphoning off the back of somebody else's sustainable farming contracts, not making your own because you don't have any demand yet. Right. You understand? Yeah, absolutely. Or you raise capital on getting people to believe in your idea. Scales become such a trend that people have lost practicality in it. Either, I know for a fact, this is the answer to your question, either you get very good at fundraising and raise a ton of money on a big enough valuation that still motivates you because you own a big enough percentage of the business and then you go that route or you go patient as fuck hacking your way towards having one, three, nine, 27, 54 customers. Okay. Right? Because yep. to your point, nobody's gonna farm for you if you've got <laughs> one family. Yeah. You know? So you need to figure out a different way and maybe play, pay a premium to rebuy off of somebody who already does have enough scale and make less margin. Okay. So really spend my time to picky, to find those that have the contracts and piggyback off of those. Really building a business. Right. Which means you can only do what your demand actually has. So if you have 43 customers, you have to be able to create an infrastructure behind it that supports that, not unsustainable. Right. Okay. So going super premium up front might be the way to go. And then driving down your costs over time. So maybe targeting the 1%, even though your ambition is for a scale, right. you just need to be able to get there. Okay. You know, one of the things that I think a lot of you are starting to realize is I've been saying the same shit my whole life. But I had to have the patience in 2008 and 9 and 10 to make those videos when nobody was watching. That's what's so fun about documenting. This is not words to a lot of you anymore as we're now doing the archive work. You get to see it real clear. This isn't a trendy thing for me. This has been it. 
I was just patient. Every word of advice I will ever give to the world will be completely predicated on something I've already done because I don't know anything else. I've got an actual question pretty quick. John Grolo, Thrive Financial, thank you for being here. Uh, I have to admit, I'm one of the people that didn't know about you until Nick suddenly put something out. The guy I hired to do marketing went total fanboy, and here we are. <laughs> um, my question for you, I work in financial services. We don't do a lot of products. We do more advice, education, empowerment, so you can go choose what you want. We want social media to build. We hand out that free advice. We give the free information. Our industry is so regulated. I'm aware. I mean, I put two lines of, hey, think about writing off your mileage, and I had 10 lines of disclosures. Yep. And it just, it, we feel it reduces the impact. And then the other part is, you know. Here's the good news real quick on that. Yeah. Because, you know, Chase is a client. You know, we have alcohol, we have like all sorts of things. Yep. I've watched countless amounts of people in financial services do well. I really believe what I'm about to tell you because I've now spent a lot of time in it. The industry as a whole, I can't speak for you, is using regulation as an excuse. Yes, there, there you completely agree. I always fight with my company 24 seven. You know, and so, yeah, it sucks, but here's the good news. No other financial service can do it different either. Right? Very so you're all playing by playing field, right? My, you know, so I, I, there's also a lot of things you can talk about that are less regulated. You know, and so a lot of the stuff that people want to talk about puts them in a position of right hook land, you know, which then gets regulated. But there's a lot of other advice and content that can be put out that doesn't require all the disclaimers because it's a little more vanilla than you should do this. And I think that's where actually we're uniquely positioned in that something. Real quick, because yes. I don't want to get it. Or you can make content that's fairly vanilla that leads to phone calls. And that's part of the second follow-up. So we are really unique positioned that our company actually gives about 300 million to charity and communities a year. And so I can talk about that and have no regulation. You could talk about golf and it could lead to financial services. Yep. You know, this is where people are very confused. There's a lot of people who started watching my content because they like the New York Jets, and that's the content they saw. They also happen to be into entrepreneurship or marketing. Like, you know, one of the weird things I've been, there was this one ad I ran years ago, early Facebook, where it was like, I can't, I don't wanna make it up, but it was super narrow. I'm gonna use this as a make pretend, but it wasn't wine, it was something else, but I was trying to sell something for a client, and let's just call it wine. And even though I would target Pinot Noir and wine and the Wine Spectator and Robert Parker, the number one thing that converted was fans of Britney Spears. <laughs> Being dead serious. I'm being dead serious. And why I'm telling that story right now is one of the things many of you should debate if you're a one woman, one man shop or a service-based business, but you're the foremost passionate expert on Pokemon or on European soccer or on having a garden in your backyard because it's your favorite thing, you would be fascinated by the shit that leads to your business results as long as you lean into something you really love and really know. That's awesome. And the other, the other part of the question becoming, you know, with the way our business is structured, you know, we're not looking to get a million leads. We're not I looking know. to get a thousand, thousand leads. We're I'm looking aware. to get hundreds, a 
quality leads, quality Hilarious. people to work with to create that freedom. How do you scale your social media appropriately? Or do meaning, you? Meaning, how do you go? How do you go bigger impact less in that realm? Yeah, I mean, we don't want our phones ringing off the hook. You spend, you spend higher money for leads. Uh, you spend eight dollar CPM. You spend eighty three dollar CPMs on LinkedIn versus two dollar CPMs on Instagram. Awesome. You get very narrow, right? Thanks, Gary. You got it. I think I'm the last question. No, those three bros over there will beat my face and if I don't get to them. <laughs> okay, second to last, but I think this will be really good. Well, I, my name's Nelly. I finished crushing it in a weekend. Thank you. So thank you for Audible. Thank um, you. I'm a mom, I wouldn't finish it without it, so. <laughs> uh, but we're talking all about taking action here at the conference, so if we were Gary Vee leaving the conference tomorrow. If I would what? If we were Gary Vee leaving the conference tomorrow, what would you do next? for the rest of the year. I really want to make, get the essence of the question. So yeah. if, if, are you asking what would I do if I was sitting in the audience right now? Correct, so we're learning a ton the next two days and they talked about taking action. What would you do leaving? I would, I would run ads on every single social media platform after I read on Google and watched videos on YouTube of how to run ads on Snapchat, LinkedIn, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter and I would make as much creative as possible with my own, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, Gary Vee, whatever, like, you have a fucking team, D-Rock, all that shit. I'm like, I didn't for eight years and produced content every day. Those videos where I look ridiculous 10 years ago, those were my little webcam on my computer. I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. Like, that's now, after I put in the work and got results. So, you know, everybody, it's unbelievable for me to watch everybody be so insecure with their content, the way they look, you know, what are people gonna say, you know, it's not edited. Perfection is an excuse to not do. What would I do? I would go do. I would go run ads at scale and make creative on scale as on many different platforms as humanly possible and try to think about what I do for a living, how it fits that community, right? Yep. That's Perfect. what I would do. Doing is the only, you can't read about push-ups. It's only doing. It's just that people are scared to lose in the micro because of judgment and they overvalue short-term money. People are super crippled to waste $4,000 on Facebook and YouTube and Google. The learnings are so valuable. They're thrilled to extract $4,000 out of their business to buy a fucking Prada bag or some Supreme sneakers, but they're not willing to spend the money on ads to learn their shit. Bro? Can you guys hear me? Yep. So um, three years ago, I was uh, diagnosed with stage three testicular cancer. I'm so uh, sorry. No, it's okay. I'm doing very well now. I went through five rounds of chemotherapy. Uh, after that, I ended up having a 12-hour surgery to remove uh, 11 centimeter tumor in my small intestine. Uh, after that, I went to a two-week coma. Um, I had complete kidney and liver failure. Um, after that, I went to cardiac arrest. Um, had to completely learn to walk again. I was in the ICU for 60 days and um, I dropped from 185 pounds as a personal trainer to 110 pounds in a matter of about nine months. Um, over the past two years, I've really just regained myself um, through watching a lot of your videos. Uh, 
and also just just having some amazing support and uh, you know health and fitness and, and faith and, and whatever anybody believes in. And uh, you know, my question to you is. It's my turn now to give back to the world. You know, I have been, have been given so much in my life that it's now my turn to give back to everybody else. And uh, sometimes it's really hard to share your most vulnerable things in life. And, you know, I'm sometimes very fearful to share a lot of the things I went through. And um, I know you talk about just sharing and being very vulnerable because that's how we can relate to all of you guys. And um, I would just wish you, you know, hope you can give us a tip of how to get over that fear of sharing your most vulnerable things in life. Because everybody here has a story. You know, you can relate to somebody in life and with your story and by sharing your most vulnerable things in life, that's how people relate are, are to you. Are you asking me because you're looking to find more angles to motivate others or are you asking for yourself? I, I know I shared a lot to you, but for me and for the audience, because I know for a lot of people out here, they have amazing stories to share, but sometimes it's really hard to share their most vulnerable things in life. And I was just wondering if you can give me a tip to overcome that fear in doing The that. acknowledgement of it. I think the thing that I've come to realize in the last four to five years as it's become a bigger theme is everybody's biggest fearful secret right this second is the jail of their happiness. A hundred percent. You know, but a lot of people don't even realize that's happening. They think that's protecting them. And so this becomes a monster game of judgment. A monster game of judgment. And you know, I don't have a tip. I, I, what I'm trying to do is bring awareness to it. Right? Like, if you study how we've eliminated stigmas in our society, it's by bringing awareness to it. And that's what I think a lot about when I hear that question. You know, I just, when I'm with the closest people or if it's one-on-one, I just always ask them like, what? And usually it's only four to five people that they're worried about. Like, they don't love the judgment of Sally Pants 89. They really don't like the judgment of friends and acquaintances. But the reality is, the reason they're not sharing their deepest shit is it usually involves a core five person in their life. You know, like it's, it's actually for humans easier to share your story because it's agnostic than making a video and saying that their father sexually abused them or that they don't love their spouse or that, you know, they stole a lot of money once. <laughs> like, what, you know, like, whatever, you know, like, you know, it's, it's hard for a lot of people to go there because the judgment of others is a framework we all live in. Yeah, I think for me the hardest part is, um, you know, I have a massive scar and, and a lot of people sometimes worry what they think and me being very fit when I was, you know, back sure. in the day, it's, right it's very hard to share some of that, you know, share my actual part of me now. I, you know what I think about this? Do you remember like in high school when you had a zit? Like you thought about that shit heavy. The reality is nobody gave a fuck because they had their own fucking zit. And that's how I think about all this shit. Like, I think people are gonna be, people would be flabbergasted by how nobody really gives a fuck. What makes it super easy for me with all the, you know, attention I have is ultimately, I know you don't give a fuck. You can't, it's not your fault. You have to worry about yourself. We watch some of the most iconic people. Look at the society we live in now. Iconic people that have brought so much value in whatever they do, pass away, they trend on Twitter for four hours, they get a little love maybe on an Instagram post and the next day everybody moves on with their life. 
That's liberating. Nobody gives a fuck about the scar on your stomach, bro. Because we have our own scars in different ways. That's my answer to why it's so easy. You're welcome. Okay, we're good. Oh, I think he's gonna stick in it. Hey Gary, I uh, just wanna say thank you so much. You really have empowered me to take a step back and pivot to do what I actually love. So thank you so much for that. I could ask you a hundred questions, but I'll keep it to just one. Uh, you've been very, well, first of all, my name is Justin with Social X and Virtual Assistant Connections. I uh, hope to uh, talk uh, over some wine later, but. Let's do it. Um, so you talk a lot about how the education system failed you and it fails entrepreneurs every day, right? I 100% agree. This is something, when I really took a step back, I thought, how can I make the most positive impact by doing what I love? And I'm really uh, studying the education system hard right now and how we can improve the entrepreneurial education system. Just make sure that you're practical, not ideological. I think the thing that people have to be very thoughtful about is you have a system to do it or a curriculum or an idea, but can that actually be done in the way that education is packaged in our society through government behavior and infrastructure and a million other things? Right, and I've been studying that, and, and I have you know, some of the same questions, you know, does it need to be privatized, etc. So I was wondering, what are some practical ideas that you may have, if you do have any, on how to really have some practical steps of, all right, as entrepreneurs, maybe you can get this type of foundation in this way, you know, personal development, self-awareness, and maybe into a business foundation or something like that. I'm living it. I'm living my thesis on it, which is, unlike me, these kids have something called the internet and instead of selling them the information that I have, I'm giving it to them for free. While in parallel, I'm putting real pressure on the conversation of the whole thing in the first place because we have to look at the actual facts which is for a lot of us in this room that are over 40, there was a lot of practicality to getting a college degree because the ROI on that college degree was real because there were things for us on the other side. Today, it is a very different ball game. The practicality to a college degree does not create the same guarantees. More importantly, the level of debt that even declaring bankruptcy doesn't get you out of that comes along with taking debt for a college is now just a very black and white scheme that is not doing a benefit for a lot of people, especially if you're the kind of learner that is comfortable in chaos and change or have entrepreneurial behavior where just doing it is your greatest teacher, not reading about it. It's amazing. It's amazing that entrepreneurship is the most similar thing to sports. It's based on merit. However, we don't talk about it in an education way the same way. We're all very comfortable and understand that the best basketball, football, hockey, UFC, soccer players in the world didn't sit in a classroom the whole time and read about it and then jumped out and did it. They had to actually do it. Fuck man, I would've quit school in third grade if that was allowed. And I'm not kidding. And by the way, there are so many people in this room who great grandfathers or grandfathers or great grandmothers, grandmothers came from different parts of the world and the world in America was a different world and they didn't get a seventh grade education. They didn't get a 10th grade education. And many of them went on to build iconic things for their families that everybody has 
eaten off of for three generations. So we, we are in a very interesting time on education where the debate has begun. I don't believe it's my generation, but I do believe that the 10-year-olds of today will be the parents that completely revolt against the infrastructure we're talking about, and I think their children are going to have far more DNA in the old way we did it around vocational skills, around self-awareness, around practicality, not the incredible job that the college business ecosystem did over the last 70 years of making it a rite of passage, no different than owning a home is for everybody, and we have rules in our society no, you know, no different than we all can agree that religion and, and religious places to worship carried a lot more weight 2,000 years ago. I absolutely believe that college is that for us now and it is deteriorating and in 200 years you can't imagine what it's gonna look like. I believe that. And so because I firmly believe it and the data is very clear to me, I don't want any of these kids to be collateral damage if they can help it and I'm tired of parents forcing their kids to go to college and collect debt to make them look good, not what's in the best interest of the kid. That's fucked up. You know me, parents, it's one thing, let's go the reverse, it's one thing if the parent picks up the tab, then you're paying for your kid's vacation, that's different. The amount of pressure parents are putting on a kid to go to a school and collect debt, their debt, so that they can look good in the neighborhood or talk or put a bumper sticker on their fucking car is unacceptable and needs to be debated. Thank you, Columbus. Thanks, guys, for listening. Please, please, please share the podcast and make sure you've subscribed because a bunch of you aren't subscribed. And-